Let us pray. Father, please open our hearts and minds to understand your word and help us to apply it in our lives today. Amen. Um, now, as you may be aware, our latest sermon series has been all about spiritual fitness, um, how we can apply certain spiritual disciplines in our lives in order to make us uh, fitter and more fruitful as Christians. And compared to some of the disciplines that we've been looking at more recently, such as solitude, fasting, and confession, today's discipline of fellowship, I thought on the face of it, looked pretty easy. thought I'd got away with a good one. Who doesn't like a bit of fellowship, chatting with their mates over a coffee, catching up over the phone, glass of wine, pint down the pub? How hard can it be, I thought to myself. <laughs> I'm also into my fitness routine, and most weekday mornings before work, I can be found in the gym. And I quite like to think of myself as being a disciplined person. I was going to crack this subject. But, as ever, when preparing a talk, I was well and truly challenged. And I hope today that I can extend something of that challenge to you guys too. Um, now, looking at the passage in Hebrews on page 1208, Jan, well remembered, um, we don't know for certain who exactly wrote Hebrews, but we do know that the author is writing to encourage the new, uh, probably Jewish Christians, and um, he encourages them to do three things. I think we can probably safely say that it is a he, can't we? Probably. Um, but he encourages them to do three things with three different exhortations or encouragements. Firstly, if you've got your Bibles there, verse 22, he says, let us draw near to God. He really wants us to have that deep intimacy, that, that sort of being a lover, as Chloe was talking about, that deep intimacy with God. And that was a particularly important message for these new Christians because they'd been brought up in the Jewish faith. And for them, the only person who could draw really close to God was the great high priest. And that was only once a year on the Day of Atonement. He explains, though, that because of Jesus and because of his sacrifice on the cross, we've got a new high priest. And we, too, can have the confidence to have that intimacy with God ourselves anytime, any place which is really exciting. The second let us um, encouragement is in verse 23. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So why did these early Christians need to be encouraged to hold tightly onto their faith? Were they in danger of letting it go? What about us? Do we need that encouragement too? As I mentioned before, it's, this book is primarily aimed at the Jewish Christians, or it was back then, who'd recently converted to Christianity. And to be honest, things weren't very easy for them. They were under a great deal of pressure from um, all their Jewish mates who hadn't converted, um, telling them that the laws that they were following, Jesus' laws, were not sufficient, that they had to follow the old laws and sacrifices in order to truly love God. And we're told in verses 32 to 34 that they, um, some of them had been thrown into prison. They'd been publicly insulted and persecuted. Some of them had had some of their, um, their properties confiscated from them. So it can't really have been very easy for them to hang on to their faith under such an attack. What about us? 
do we find it easy to hold on to our faith? Hands up if you've been put in prison for your faith. Hands up if you've had your property confiscated for your faith. We should find it pretty easy, shouldn't we? Do we? Well, I guess the answer that is sometimes yes and sometimes no. It's a very balanced answer, Ruth. Do I, apply, do I apply, for example, the same standards of faithfulness to my church activities and to God as I do in other areas of my life? Hmm. Am I, as, am I as protective about my time with God in prayer or reading his word as I am about my time in the gym, for example? I expect I'm not the only one here who says, oh, I'd love to spend more time with God. But I don't always manage to make it happen as I get into that new Netflix series and suddenly that hour has gone. So maybe we do need to be encouraged to hold fast in our faith just in case it should diminish and slip away. We may not be under attack physically as those early Christians were, but I guess we're probably all under some kind of spiritual attack and we need to be on guard. I think everybody knows that they should draw near, they should spend time with God, but it's the how. How do we do that? And the answer to the, final, the, answer to the how comes in the final lettuce in this passage, um, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. And indeed, these verses are at the heart of spiritual discipline and fellowship that we're looking at today. The passage puts it quite clearly and strongly that Christian life should be active and not passive. So no sitting around waiting for life to happen to us. Our lives should be full of love and good deeds as we strive to follow the path that Jesus set us out to do. The passage also makes the strong point that we're not trying to live the Christian life on our own. In fact, it says that if we try and do that, we can put ourselves in danger. We need the encouragement of other Christians if we're going to make progress. And this spiritual discipline of fellowship occurs throughout the Bible. I guess God knew how tough it is or, or even impossible for some of us to follow him in isolation. So we're actively encouraged to be together in fellowship. In Proverbs 27, um, 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. I love that. In 1 Thessalonians 5, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. And Jesus led the way with his disciples, didn't he? They traveled together, they ate together, they worked together, they prayed together. They did pretty much everything together. He was a real role model to them. He really, he really worked that teamwork with them. He didn't just go off and do things by himself and then come back and tell them all about it. He knew how important that their fellowship would be, particularly as he knew he wouldn't be with them forever. I don't know about you, but I love the words of the, of the grace. And at the 9.30 service this morning, we said it together. So if you know the words of the grace, please join in with me. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. It's not just any fellowship, is it, that we're bound by as Christians? It's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that makes the Christian church quite unique because the same Holy Spirit lives in every single one of us as believers. The Holy Spirit unifies us. It gives us the same purpose, the spreading of the gospel. In this passage, we hear that the Hebrew Christians had stopped meeting together. We know they were under huge pressure to turn away from their faith. They had every reason, didn't they, to want to skip church. What about us? Another gold star for those who are here at the 9.30 or the 10.30. And if not, you get your first gold star of the day by being here. You haven't skipped church. Well done. However, we've probably all been guilty, haven't we, at some point of indifference, laziness, busyness, selfishness on far too many occasions. I know that if I'm going to be measured by my attendance in home group, I'm going to fall well short of the mark. It's easy to be distracted to find something else we'd rather do, even if it's just an early night or a lion. But this passage tells us why we need to press on and make fellowship a key spiritual discipline. It calls us to spur one another onto love and good deeds and to encourage one another in our Christian lives. Now, although I'm a real gym bunny, I am not into running. However, many of my friends have run marathons. Anybody here run a marathon? Half marathon? Half, half marathon. Half marathon, okay, that's, that's a half marathon more than I've run, I can tell you. My mates that have done a marathon say that at some point in that 26.2 miles, you hit a trough, a wall, and you feel you just can't go on. I think that would probably happen to me about mile one. They also say that what got them through this was the encouragement of those standing on the roadside cheering them on, or even the encouragement of other runners getting alongside them and just helping them through that difficult mile or two. And this is the purpose of our Holy Spirit fellowship. We should be asking God, who do you want me to encourage today, this week? Who's in need of a hug? Some practical help? A cup of coffee, a cake and a chat? Who might be feeling a bit lonely, discouraged, broken? Who might need a bit of a kick up the pants? We all of us need different types of encouragement at different times. And in Christian fellowship, we can offer this to each other. We may not be facing the severe trials that those early Hebrew Christians were, but many of us will be discouraged because of other conflicts at work, in our relationships, our health. People here may be thinking, does God really care for me? Just like those early Christians. We can take this kind of fellowship and encouragement for granted. And I know I used to, uh, before I came to Christ Church some 21 years ago now. Uh, I was at another church with a group of Christian friends, and there was a falling out at this church, as sometimes happens. 
Um, and I won't go into the details, but many of the, uh, the, church, of the church members left. Many of my friends left. These were the people that had nurtured me through Alpha, had prayed for me and supported me when my sister died, had taken screaming children off me to give me a moment's peace, baked cakes for me when I came out of hospital. Suddenly, they were gone. Yeah, they were still in Chiswick, but they weren't at church with me, and I really, really missed them. I didn't leave with them at that time because I thought, rightly or wrongly, that it would be a bit sheep-like to just go. But about a year later, I remember having a chat with the archdeacon's wife over a cup of coffee after the service. She asked me how I was doing. I said that I really, really missed all my mates, and I was feeling quite lonely. And she said to me that as Christians, we're not meant to be alone. We're not meant to worship alone. And I really felt that she was giving me permission to leave and that that wasn't a sign of weakness. I'm eternally grateful. I came to Christ Church the very next Sunday and I've never left. I'm surrounded by my old friends, some of them here today, and I've made new ones. We support, encourage, and pray for each other. And I know I'm so much the stronger because of this. Now, as good as our clergy are, and I hope you'll agree with me that they all have amazing pastoral care, they can't possibly manage to look after all of us all of the time. And that's why the church needs us all to help in this pastoral role. In a nutshell, we need the church, and the church needs us. We are the church. We need the church to keep us on track, to hold us accountable, to encourage us, to care for us through the disasters of our life, for whatever reason. And the church needs us to be its eyes and ears for others who need that encouragement too. It's a fantastic example of a perfect symbiotic relationship. So spend a moment now to reflect on who you might encourage this week and how you're going to do it. We're all running a marathon of sorts. Living a Christian life is not a 100-meter sprint. There'll be many times when we feel like giving up. There'll certainly be times when we feel like walking rather than running. So let's encourage each other to all be there at the finishing line. Amen.